0: This week in KMA Land, brush fires scorch KMA Land. East Mills mourns students' death. State and local officials investigate alleged serial killer in Fremont County. M-16 debate continues in Page County. And Chen Council holds nuisance hearing. I'm Mike Peterson. One significant element dominated the news in KMA Land this week. High winds combined with extreme dry conditions generated scores of brush fires across the region earlier in the week. One such firefight took place in Montgomery County where firefighters from numerous KMA Land Departments joined local farmers in battling a field fire in the vicinity of Highway 34 at A Avenue. Montgomery County Emergency Management Coordinator Brian Hammond tells KMA News the county's Communications Center and Red Oaks Fire Department received multiple 911 calls shortly after 4.45 that afternoon Regarding a small ditch fire. At that
1: point, when crews got on scene, um, the fire grew rapidly and very intensively. We did have a couple of tractor and discs almost immediately on scene. But within a matter of two to three minutes, the fire grew to the point where it was running north and there was no way to stop it. At that point, we made the all call. We made the decision to start evacuating homes and called for additional mutual aid resources to the scene.
0: 18 area departments, including 63 fire and EMS vehicles and 138 firefighters answered the call. Six law enforcement agencies, three emergency management agencies, and three county dispatch centers joined more than 12 area farmers in the battle. A uh,
1: very massive response, especially for our area. Unlike anything I've ever seen, probably the majority of a lot of the firefighters and first responders have ever seen, um, especially in our area. Obviously, early on, we didn't know if we were going to get it stopped. And If it wasn't for the farmers and their tractors and discs, and the fire would have ran for miles, and I don't know where it would have stopped. They played a tremendous part, as did the first responders and the firefighters, but it was all hands on deck. Everyone came to work, did their job. Um, Thankfully, we didn't lose any residents and everything was contained to the fields.
0: Hammond says the firefighters face challenging and dangerous conditions. Obviously,
1: extreme wind conditions, not only smoke, fire, um, dust, intensive heat, Unfortunately, we did have two firefighters that sustained very minor burns as a result of their active firefighting efforts. But thankfully, um, no other injuries, but just a very intense scene.
0: Roughly 750 acres were consumed by the fire, which started when wind rekindled a previous grass fire from two weeks ago. Though up to eight homes were evacuated, none were destroyed. Firefighters in Fremont County had another brush fire on their hands Sunday afternoon. The majority of the county's fire department, coupled with area farmers, battled a large field fire in the vicinity of 235th Street southeast of the Fremont County Golf Course. Sydney Assistant Fire Chief Dustin Sheldon tells KMA News that an initial report came to the Riverton Fire Department shortly before 2.40 p.m., who immediately called for mutual aid. I think
2: we had everybody in the county there except for Thurman. I was the only department that wasn't there in our county. We had plus Shenandoah out of Page County, and we had uh, multiple farmers. We probably had ten to twelve discs and tractors out in the fields, trying to flank the fire and, and get the fire put out. You know, for, from a distance, you know where it burns out into the where it's been disked and, and put a fire break in.
0: Sheldon says the nearly 350 acre fire did burn up a few acres of standing corn. However, no structural damage was reported outside of fence posts in the area. He adds the fire was slightly complicated due to the fire spreading into some of the area's timber and fence lines.
2: Which always creates a a problem when you get timber to burn and it's it's hard to put those out without a a dozer or a big tree where you can cut everything down, a big saw where you can cut everything down. We weren't able to do that. Our dozer out there was was pretty busy with doing what he was doing, but we did get all the ground just around the... Those wooded fence lines and things like that, so uh, we weren't out there for a rekindle or anything like that tonight, which was a great possibility.
0: As of now, Sheldon says the belief is the fire started in a road ditch sparked by a short in a light pole. Given the time of year and the current dry conditions, he says a spark can quickly spread and conditions were not favorable for the firefighters Sunday. We
2: can't emphasize enough how important it is for people not to flick a cigarette out the window or... Burn your trash or anything like that right now, because uh, it, it just—it's dangerous out right now. And, and until we get some moisture, significant moisture, it, it's going to be that way. And uh, it, it's pretty dangerous out right now. And I know the winds—the winds were terrible. You know, uh, we—I think we were in 30 to 35 mile an hour sustained winds during the entire active fire scene.
0: Sheldon says the response from the region was crucial in being able to subdue the fire which was accomplished after nearly four hours. Emergency management officials Tuesday announced burn bans in place in Page, Pottawatomie, and Montgomery counties effective immediately. Another burn ban was issued in Mills County on Thursday. The bans prohibit all open and controlled burning in all four counties unless an official burn permit has been issued by the proper fire chiefs. Despite Monday's rainfall and forecast chances later in the week, officials say accumulated amounts provided little to no relief from the continuing moisture deficits in the county and region. Students, staff, administrators, and patrons in the East Mills School District dealt with tragedy this past week. Funeral services were held Wednesday morning for 17-year-old Kennedy Haley of Emerson. The East Mills High School senior was killed in a one-vehicle accident on Noise Avenue near 290th Street southwest of Malvern Friday afternoon. East Mills Junior Senior High School Principal Dale Scott told KMA News a Green Hills Area Education Agency crisis team joined the district's own counselors in helping the district's students cope with Haley's death. It's
1: in place uh, on Sunday afternoon and in place here all day today at both our elementary and our secondary buildings. Just to help students uh, process those emotions of grief and they come in a lot of different manners. Everyone grieves different ways and so we've had those counselors just around our school just to help them with that process.
0: East Mills officials also met with the district staff prior to the start of the school Monday to discuss their role in the grieving process and to check on their emotional state as well. We have some
1: staff. who are close to Kennedy and you know this uh, a very traumatic uh, experience for them, too. So we want our staff taken care of as well.
0: Among other things, Scott says Haley is remembered as a member of the high school's cheerleading squad. A uh, very
1: bright young lady, very mature young lady. Um, had a lot going for her. It was very pleasant to talk to you. I remember our conversation. Uh, again, very mature young lady. Definitely knew what she wanted to do in life. And, uh, uh, you know, just a very bright soul.
0: East Mill Superintendent Tim Hood says the district's thoughts and prayers were with Haley's family. Hood praised the Green Valley crisis team, the district's counselors, Scott, and his entire staff for their handling of the crisis. One of the strangest stories this week dealt with an investigation into an alleged serial killer in Fremont County, and there's still information we don't know about this. Now, according to a published report on Newsweek.com last weekend, cadaver dogs recently discovered suspected human remains at spots identified in a remote location near Thurmont. The Fremont County Sheriff's Office launched the investigation based on information from a woman claiming her father murdered scores of young women and buried them with the help of his children. Lucy Studi told Newsweek her father, Donald Dean Studi, would direct her and her siblings to help him be transported bodies including a wheelbarrow in the warmer months and a toboggan in winter. Studi alleged her father killed 50 to 70 women over three decades before his death in March 2013 at the age of 75. In most cases, the victims were transients or sex workers from the Omaha area. Daryl Simmons, special agent in charge of the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation's Western Iowa office, confirmed to KMA News Monday his office is working with Fremont County authorities to determine whether the woman's claims are true he declined to divulge further information saying the matter is still under investigation more discussion regarding a controversial repaving project dominated tuesday's page county board of supervisors meeting meeting in regular session tuesday morning the county's board of supervisors received an update from county engineer jd king It says crews with Henningsen Construction have arrived at O Avenue or County Road M63 and began repairs to the 11-mile stretch of road, particularly in the north end of the project, at the Page-Montgomery County line. King says the plan is to mill down the bleed spots and improve the transition, according to the original project detail. I I
3: think they're going to mill at the transition first, and then mill further down the road. Working on the transition by... uh, into the EOP detail on the plans discussed, to with Hennington, uh, he agreed to work on well do that.
0: The update came after nearly five months worth of inquiries, in which county resident Tom Waggeter expressed his concerns over the current pavement, which has deviations as large as seven inches in the end of project detail on the project's north end. King adds they've also identified 19 bleed spots. However, Wagoner continued to wear concerns over the lack of tests to indicate whether the excess material is coming from the cold-in-place recycling layers on the top layer of asphalt. Shenandoah City Council Tuesday night had a lengthy agenda, including a public hearing on a structure deemed dangerous by city officials. By a three to two vote, the council granted a 90 day extension to the owners of a storage shed at 704 8th Avenue. Keith Holderfield represented his uncle Robert McCoy and his son Chris during the requested nuisance hearing. Holderfield asked for the city's assistance in addressing the sheds issues. We
2: are requesting the ability to get this to where it's no longer a nuisance. Uh, they've been doing work on it. We have pictures to show the work that has been done currently. And is there any way that we can work with somebody so they can look at it and guide in the resolution of this.
0: City Building Inspector Dave Riedeman, however, says the work completed on the shed was severely deficient and did not meet building codes. Riedemann told Chris McCoy he had to go backward on the structure's renovation before moving forward. Some of the foundation
3: is walls sitting on the ground. Some's on a sort of a foundation, and some of it's post and beam construction, and none of it was done correctly. And it's it's all mess. You can tell by the photograph that it's all mismatched materials and just kind of thrown together. So.
0: Riedemann also expressed concerns about the electric services in the shed not measuring up to code and constituting a fire hazard. City Attorney Milan Sorensen asked Riedemann whether there was no other alternative than tearing down the property.
3: Unfortunately, yeah. Um, It's just, like I said, every aspect of it, the the roof, the framing, the walls, the materials used. There's materials materials used in places that the materials are not rated to be used in, like... OSB with uh, ground contact, for example, and lumber, regular pine lumber in contact with the ground, then that's supposed to be pressure treated, and uh, fasteners used to fasten uh, framing members at joints not adequate.
0: Shenandoah Fire Chief Justin Marshall echoed concerns about fire safety, saying the shed constituted a threat to the McCoys, neighbors, and ultimately his firefighters. The biggest fear I have
2: was, is this, the safety of the McCoy family and the neighbors, and, and the collapse, I think, if that would ever catch fire. Um, the egress that's in there is not even, we're close to where we could, he could get out of there safely, and I'm just afraid we'd have a tragedy.
0: Holderfield, however, replied that the electrical issues are being addressed, and Redeman says new photos presented depicted considerable progress made on renovations. Councilman John Eric Bradner's motion granting the extension carried stipulations that the McCoys allow for regular inspections and meet with building inspectors. Councilwoman Rita Gibson and Tony Graham voted in favor of the resolution. Councilman Kim Swank and Richard Jones voted against it. In addition, two potential applicants for the Iowa Economic Development Authority's Community Catalyst Grant Program made their cases before the Shenandoah Council Tuesday night. Council members will select one of the projects as the city's applicant for up to $100,000 in grant money for property owners seeking redevelopment, rehabilitation or demolition of underutilized buildings or to stimulate growth and reinvestment in the community. City officials selected two possible applicants from the original four for consideration. Bree Sorensen plans to redevelop the bottom floor of 507 West Sheridan Avenue into an office for her law firm. The
4: first stage of the project is to get the main level completed, and that is where I will then move my office. Very excited to be on Main Street. Fell in love with the building. Not so much the impact on my pocketbook, but the building (laughs) itself is pretty
0: cool. Plans call for renovating the top floor to three apartment units. Sorensen says the building needs major work. Tom Slater and his wife Haley own the former Mickey G's location at 515 and 517 West Sheridan. Slater plans a top-to-bottom renovation. Its first stage is to shore up infrastructure for tenants living on the top floor. The roof
1: is one big thing. There's a termination strip that needs to be pulled back. pulled tight so obviously water doesn't leak but i currently have two tenants that live above each storefront that they need to continue to have a great place to live and continue to live downtown and once that's done one has major window issues in her apartment three of the windows need redone
0: stage two entails converting the storefronts into another apartment unit Plus, space for two potential new businesses. By unanimous vote, the council tabled a decision on an applicant until its November 8th meeting. Clarinda officials are selling city owned properties in hopes of spurring economic development. Meeting in a regular session Wednesday evening, the Clarinda City Council held a public hearing and by a 3 to nothing vote approved a resolution authorizing the sale of three city owned properties to the Clarinda Economic Development Corporation for $22,000. Clarendon City Manager Gary McLarnan told KMA News the sale includes 600 606 East Lincoln Street and 107 South 11th Street. They're, they're working very hard on housing right now, trying to get some housing going in Clarendon. And uh, we we've done this in the past where we've taken vacant properties we have or we've bought vacant properties and tore the houses down. Um, or sheds, whatever was on there. McClarnon says the city had previously torn down houses on the Lincoln Street property shortly before their purchase, which he says at ideal locations for new housing. He adds the resolution is the final step following state law, allowing the city to donate or transfer property. We gave them $22,000 the last meeting as an economic development grant, so they have those funds and then they'll turn around and pay us for these properties, so you're accomplishing the same thing by giving them away, but this is the legal way through the state of Iowa in order to accomplish that. Additionally, the council held a public hearing and, by a 3 to nothing vote, approved a resolution for the vacation and conveyance of an alley north of the city's fire station. During the meeting, McClarnon said the alley borders property and a garage owned by Jeff Williams. McClarnon says crews have already begun work on the structure that will house the fire station's backup generator. With the November 8th general election knocking on the door, Page County officials are demonstrating the ease and security of absentee voting. Monday was the deadline for absentee ballots to be requested and sent by mail. However, Page County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen tells KMA News residents may still vote absentee in her office until the day before the election. Wellhausen demonstrated the process of absentee voting to KMA News. In our office, they can vote absentee until
4: November 7th. So we give them this form to fill out, and then we have them grab a pen, and then they just fill out the form Form in entirety. They want to make sure anything in yellow that they fill out. And then if they have any questions while they go through it, we assist them with that process.
0: After filling out an absentee request form, which is then processed and verified by auditor staff members, voters are given not only a ballot, but also a return affidavit envelope and a yellow secrecy envelope. Voting then takes place in a secluded area inside the auditor's office, which is actually the county supervisor's boardroom. When
4: they finish voting, they're going to bring back a ballot. They're going to fold it up, and then they're going to place it inside the secrecy envelope. But So after they vote this ballot, they're going to fold it in thirds, and then they're going to place it inside the secrecy envelope, and then they're going to place it inside of the affidavit envelope, and then they're going to peel this off and seal it up. And so then what we do is we file it in the back in a locked file cabinet and then it is not opened until, um, they're not counted until election night
0: then. After the polls close on election night, the office's absentee team, which is balanced with equal representation for each major political party, opens the sealed ballots and stacks them in piles of 25. We
4: run these in batches through our system and so basically then we have our team count them in to stacks of 25 because then basically then when we run them through the tabulator, then we know every time that each ballot has been counted. So then if we, if we have them check that they're in stacks of 25, then when we run them through, we're double checking that as well they're in stacks of 25 that they ran through the machine each time. And so that's the way that, that we count
0: them. The ballots are then placed in a tabulating machine which then prints out the results. Page County's auditor's office and other offices in southwest Iowa are open for absentee voting Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4:30 p.m. and on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's the Saturday before the election. Wellhausen adds curbside absentee voting is also available. Wellhausen also reminds absentee voters to bring some form of identification with them, such as a driver's license, for example, to the auditor's office. Now, anyone with questions can contact the Page County Auditor's Office at 712-542-3219 or your local county auditor's office. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. <laughs> Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.